Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of NYY Takes. Had a fun one today. I was joined by the usual suspects in Matthew Jarrell and Les Williams. We discussed the Yankees' five-in-one week, taking two of three from the Twins and sweeping the Chicago Cubs with ease. Did that for about the first 15 minutes and then spent the rest of the time talking about the All-Star game, who deserves to be in from the Yankees, and an interesting conversation about who deserves to be out. So hope you enjoy, and go Yanks. All right, another fun week for the Yankees in the books. Matt, Les, happy to be back on after a weekend where it was just Les and I, but Les and I had a little bit of fun uh, just just t- chatting for 30 minutes or whatever it was about the Yanks. But Matt, happy happy to have you back. How are you feeling? It is, it is good to be back. I uh, feel like it was probably for the best that last week was the week that I missed because <laughs> you guys – predicted an undefeated week for the team I probably would have chickened out again and not done that but then again maybe I would have been right because they did only lose one game last week exactly but it's 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 nice to be back uh feels like a long time since I have done this and looking forward to being part of the conversation again Les after our uh our incorrect predictions that were oh so close if not for an 8-1 loss to the twins how are you feeling you know, Robert, much like the New York Yankees, I'm just turning the page. You know, <laughs> these guys, they take a loss one day, they get their butts kicked. Next day, they come out and put 10 down. So, you know, I'm turning the page, moving on, and going to start a new winning streak. I mean, can you really blame us, though, for, for predicting undefeated? Not at all. They own the Twins, and then the Cubs are just not good. So, taking one from the Twins was was a surprise taking one loss there yeah it was weird I didn't get to watch that second game but it was so weird checking the MLB app and seeing that they were losing it, it genuinely felt new which is I guess kind of a very spoiled thing to be able to say as a fan but I was so surprised they're like whoa this game is over they're down 7-1 I don't think that's happened this year maybe unless I'm missing something from like early April not sure but they've got the best record in baseball so on we go. New winning streak, doing great after just brutalizing the Cubs all weekend. Yes, br- brutalizing the club Cubs indeed. But I guess like we can – I just want to talk about like that twin series quickly. Uh, it was kind of – I remember we had – didn't we talk about Jamison Tyone? I, I think I had said I thought we were kind of approaching the Jamison Tyone implosion game. But, of course, his quote-unquote implosion was like four earned runs and nine hits and in four innings, which is like not great. But the Yankees – still won the game 10-4 so so his implosion gets like completely buried and then he obviously still has good starts left in him that 8-1 loss in game two like we spoke about and then I, the most impressive win of that series without a doubt obviously was when Cole got beaten up in game three gave up back-to-back homers to start the game which is like for some reason Garrett Cole has gotten a knack for just giving up early home runs um, and then we got the Gallo and Hicks game Gallo two homers Hicks hit a homer it was just everything that a good team does. It's like sometimes when your best player stinks, you have players that are bad, but eventually they have to be good. And that's kind of what happened in that game. Yeah, and when we say bad, we mean really, <laughs> really bad. Cole gave up five home runs in that game, which was a career high for him. And every single one of them was a no-doubter. Yep. One of those where you just know it's gone off the bat. And it was really crazy. I mean, we've seen, we've seen Cole look shell-shocked a few times in the last couple of years, I would say. I think about the wild card game last year when he came out and got pretty well ambushed. Yeah. And, you know, the telltale signs, right? You start to see the perspiration. He kind of takes his hat off and brushes his hair back, yep. breathes hard. You see a lot of that. That's when you know that he's, he's off track. And we really saw that in that Twins game. I mean, it's, it's hard not to be shocked when you come out and you give up just three just missiles. And it was remarkable to me that the team was able to turn it around and come back and get that win after that deflating first inning. Because you, you know, when, when you see your ace go down like that, it's really yeah. hard to pick, pick the team up off the mat. But they did. But like with Garrett, it's almost to me, and I could be totally off base, when I see him struggling like that and like doing, like you mentioned, the whole taking off the hat, deep breaths type thing, 
I think he's trying – I think he's just so angry. I, I don't think he's phased. I don't think he's, you know, nervous, upset. I think he's just legitimately so pissed off. And when Matt Blake came out to talk to him on the mound, I think it took – after he gave up those first three homers, I think Matt Blake came out to talk to him. I think it took everything within him as a man not to com- just start yelling in his face in front of everyone. That's kind of yeah, my, yeah. my takeaway on Garrett as, like, a guy. And you know what? Like, we've sung the praises of Matt Blake, and I think that's how much they're just buying in. He, Matt Blake comes out, and, yeah, Cole probably wanted to chew his face off, but he took what Matt Blake said, dialed in, gave up another home run, and, you know, they, they did get out of it with a win. But, yeah, it was just really weird. He threw – I've never seen that from Garrett Cole, and they're the Minnesota Twins. It's not like they're known as just boppers, but they – they teed off for Garrett, uh, on Garrett Cole for one day, and, and they still lost the game, more importantly. And look, Byron, yeah, exactly. They, the Twins still lost the game in classic Twins fashion. But also, you know, Byron Buxton, I think Correa also hit a homer. You know, good players. Twins have a sneakily good team. So to it go did. in there and win two out of three, especially when you're down – weren't they down – what, what was the score of that game? They were down 6-3 at one point, 7-3? 7-3, 3 then they rattled off, uh, you know, seven unanswered runs. Um, yeah, the Twins have – the Twins do have good players. The three that hit the home runs to start the game were Correa and Buxton, but number one at the plate was Luis Arias. Mm-hmm. And you will not find a bigger Luis Arias fan than myself been, right he's now. He's been great this year, right? And not just because he was a waiver wire pickup for me in fantasy, and now he's carrying <laughs> now he's carrying my team. He's a great player, and he's a player that in the past was known as a kind of a slasher, you know, just a contact hitter. And now he's elevating the ball and hitting for power. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those kind of transition, uh, you know, transformations that we've known the Yankees to be able to produce, and, and the Twins have got one of their own, which is pretty cool. Arise is kind of in the All Star conversation. If I'm, not, I would say if so. I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I mean, that twin series is like you're sitting there kind of expecting to lose two out of three, and you can kind of wear that on the chin, given how well the Yankees have played. But they even said it after the game, and it kind of felt like watching the game. It never really felt like the game was actually over. I don't know how you guys felt watching that, but I did I did not think they were going to lose that game. No. And you know what? The Yankees this year are really surprising because in previous years, when they got knocked down, they would stay down, and then yeah. they would go on you know, lose three out of five, five out of seven. But no, like they came back, they fought back and, you know, they've just, they, like I said before, they just turn the page and they, they find ways to win. And I guess that can take us into the Chicago series and game one of that series coming off that come from behind win. That game, one of the Cubs series was kind of everything different about the 2022 Yankees versus the 2021 Yankees. You've made Wade, made Wiley. Look at that. Wade Miley coming into Yankee stadium. And I was at, I went to the game Friday, had a couple friends visit from Chicago. We had a good time, but I'm sitting there thinking, Oh, you guys are about to get a show. Wade Miley's on the mound. Yankees got all these great righty bats. And of course, Wade Miley shuts them down for three innings. gets pulled from the game. And then the only run the Yankees score with the exception of a 13th inning walk-off was a Glaber Torres opposite field homer. And, and the takeaway there for me is that this is just a really good team playing a really bad team and finding a way to win, but also a Yankee team that's so different because they won this game defensively. Top of the third inning, I think it was, I was like trying to take notes. Like when you go, when I go to a game, I was also sitting in the bleachers. It doesn't really feel like you're involved in the game that much. I don't know what it is, but it's hard to even follow. Like I watched the highlights and, like, one of the first ones was, like, a pop-out to Frank Schwindel. And I was like, I didn't even realize he was, like, in the game at that point. Um, but anyway, I think top of the third, Hayward let off for the double, ended up on third with one out. And then there was that ground ball. I think it was to Marwin. They threw out Hayward at the plate. So great defensive play right there and a contact play. And then in the fifth inning, I think Seve had first and second, nobody out. After the Hayward homer, after Hayward's first home run that he hit opposite field somehow, first and second, nobody out, gets out of it. And then in the top of the sixth, the leadoff man was on again with Seve pitching, and there was that 3-2 pitch. I forget who was hitting, but there was that 3-2 pitch that probably should have been a ball, but Higgy had the wherewithal to play through it, and what turned into or what should have been first and second, nobody out, turned into two outs, nobody on, because it was a strike him out, throw him out, out of nowhere. And it's just little things like that, that this team didn't feel like they were doing it all last year, just taking advantage of little scenarios and being able to 
cleaned it up defensively. I didn't even mention Judge's diving catch in center field <laughs> again uh, against Ian Happ when they were first and second and two outs. I think that was in the third inning, top of the third inning, um, after the play where Hayward got gunned at the plate. So the defense was great, and that's just so the difference with, with this team is that in the games where they can't hit at all, they're still finding ways to win because they're playing good baseball. And that Friday night, that was the one to me. And you mentioned like Yankees teams of the past would kind of lose that twins game and go on to lose three out of five. But this team is so buttoned up. There was a graphic on Saturday. They're like second in errors and second in fielding percentage, whatever it is. This team is just so much more buttoned up. And that just to me is the difference to winning those games on the margins that you're probably not supposed to win. It's the sign of a good team. Totally. Absolutely. Totally agree. Friday was a, was a very interesting game. Friday was a marathon. It was, it was a marathon, but it was, there were some, there were some fascinating storylines from that game. First of all, it was tied for the longest game in terms of innings of any game that's been played in major league baseball this year, which is just a really interesting product of the uh, runner on second rule era that we find ourselves in right now. Games going for 13 innings with that rule in play are few and far between. So interesting right there. Severino, I also thought, just was was fantastic and the home run that he did give up to Hayward was really frustrating in a way because Hayward it, it was the first home run all year and he's not known for you know the crazy ball was really, yeah the ball was flying out of the park all week it was obviously, it was so. yeah and and it wasn't even it wasn't a bad pitch it no. was actually a well-located fastball and Hayward just went out and got it and so it's one of those ones that you just kind of have to tip your hat to the hitter for doing doing their job well but, yeah, his first home run of the year, so it was frustrating for that to be the tying run. Severino overall was really good. And then the other big headline to me from Friday was the back end of the bullpen. Mm. You got four shutout innings from guys at the back of the pen, all of which came with that automatic runner on second to start the inning. That's really impressive. Clark Schmidt goes two scoreless. Again, both times having to deal with that runner on second. Then you get Wandy, who – I think is going to kind of work his way up the hierarchy now because there are so many injuries, but Wandy goes an inning shut out. And then Ron Marinaccio, a guy who we've, kind of, you know, we've made fun of on this podcast in, <laughs> in past weeks comes out and, and gets the job done in the 13th inning gives the Yankees a chance to go out and win. Now the flip side of that was that we got those extra innings because the Yankees couldn't put the game away and couldn't get that automatic runner home on their side. So that was frustrating. Um, but then last but not least, Jose Trevino. And what can you say, really? There's not much that you can say that that hasn't already been said. The guy's just a revelation. He's come through in the big yeah. spots all year long. He's easy to root for. Just a great story. And like another defensive play I forgot to mention was I, it was whatever one of the innings Clark Schmidt was pitching, there was that liner back to him that he caught and he doubled off the, the man at second. I think it was Wilson Contreras at second base. So Clark Schmidt and Ron Marinaccio really carrying the load and continuing the defensive, you know, defensive prowess the, the, the thing I'll say about being at a 13 inning game if you had told me before the game this is going to be a tie game until the 13th inning and that's all the information I had I would have assumed with the extra inning rule that it was one of those back and forth affairs so the Cubs score one the Yankees score one it's exciting you're engaged the whole time but it was the exact opposite I have obviously loved baseball my entire life. I've gone to a lot of baseball games. This was the first time where I was more happy at the end of the game that the game was just simply over. And I think the whole stadium felt the same way. Like when when Trevino was called up to pinch hit, it was actually very exciting. The stadium got very excited after being dead for what felt like an hour. But man, 13 innings and a 1-1 game, especially in extras where you assume runs to be scored quickly and no runs are being scored is not very entertaining baseball let me let me tell you oh that was tough to sit through I tried to sit through all 13 innings myself I'm like I just can't do it I had to get up and take a walk with my friend at one point I was like we gotta we gotta stand and watch somewhere else for like a half inning or something I like I can't I can't just keep sitting here watching this so yes it was it was very frustrating and I think in the end everyone was very was very happy that the game was just over I'm trying to think of anything else from that first game that I can kind of take away but yeah I mean there's not much more the bullpen was elite Jose Trevino did his thing the defense won them the game so not much and then of course games two and three are just complete polar opposites I think the Cubs were just the Cubs used nine pitchers on Friday night I mean when you have your starter 
exit the game after three innings. And then that same game goes 13 innings and you're already a team that's like pretty short overall. It's a recipe for disaster for the, for the rest of the weekend. So a tale of a tale of two types of games, games this weekend and games two and three, like they were over when the game started. Yeah. That, uh, the, the next day, it was just watching the broadcast. I believe it was on Fox, and John Smoltz basically just insinuated that the, the Cubs starting pitcher, who apparently didn't throw very hard, he just he had a specific zone that he needed to stay in, and if he didn't, he was going to be in trouble. And he didn't stay in that zone, and the Yankees hit six solo home runs off of him. So, you know, it was awesome as a fan. They didn't take batting practice, which I guess they attributed to why they scored so many runs. But yeah, that that next day was just awesome judge hit two home runs every time that guy comes up you just expect him to hit a bomb yeah we've really gotten to that point with judge where every time he comes to the plate you're like home run time (laughs) or just straight production time Um, sure but yeah i mean is there even that much to take away from those two games except for the fact that the yankees can really beat up on some bad pitching when they need to yankees are really good Uh man that's that's all that was that's the that's my takeaway from those two games <laughs> neither of which I actually watched I was uh elsewhere this weekend but they're just really good and and good teams beat bad teams you know it's it's no it's no accident it's no fluke that when the Yankees were having their best seasons the last few years they were beating up on the Baltimore Orioles and every team that wins the AL East every single year beats up on the Baltimore Orioles and it was last season the Yankees did worse than folks expected and they did they were not able to beat the Orioles. So that's just I mean, it's almost like I don't have any fancy saber metrics or anything to back it up, but good teams beat bad teams. And so far, the Yankees have had, you know, admittedly, we all know this, they've had a pretty soft schedule to begin the year. And they've taken care of business, right? They're winning at a seven hundred pace, beating up on the bad teams. So you know, it's good I've to seen see. a lot of, you know, the Yankees have had a soft schedule thing, but I think their strength of schedule is like still seventh or something in MLB, if I'm not I could be wrong about that, but I think it's, it's at least in the top half of the league. Um, yeah. And then one more big thing from the series that's very near and dear to my heart is Kyle Higashioka finally being relevant um, as someone that was a big Higgy believer before the season, but I guess I'll take what Jose Trevino's given us, but Higgy two homers on Sunday. Well, if you count the second one off position player, but yeah, two, two homers on Sunday from the Higster. And I, Matt, we spoke about this on a podcast very, very early in the season. I think we had a conversation about, you know, by the end of the year, who's going to come out on top as the starting catcher when, when the dust settles. And I think I was still team Higgy. I can almost still see that happening. I, I know Trevino has been really good, but something about Trevino feels very, very non-permanent. It feels like something that's not, la- not going to last. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Last for my brain not being able to come up with short term. Um, but yeah, it doesn't feel like it's something like this. This is not sustainable for him is is my gut feeling. And then the way Higgy is playing or how bad he's playing, I should, I should say is also unsustainable, right? I mean, do you guys think Trevino slash Higgy are, are the guys that are going to be catching at the end of the year? Do you think it's one or the other? Or do you think there's someone else that is going to be in the well, fold? Honestly, the during this series or this series, the Cubs kept talking. The announcers kept talking about how Wilson Contreras is a free agent at the end of the year, and you know he could be a deadline. He could be had at the deadline, and you think that if the Yankees don't know that either of these guys can, like those guys being Trevino and Higgy, can take them to the championship, maybe they make a move for Contreras. So the one thing I'll say about Wilson Contreras is, while I agree with you, he's uh, he's a great hitter and, and he is a good player. But as Yankees fans, we have now become very accustomed to having good defensive catching and yes, catching yeah. that starts with framing and receiving and working really well with your pitching staff. Now, we've also gotten lucky because Trevino so happens to have a 150 WRC plus this year, which, you know, but Contreras is is one of the, is one of the worst receivers slash framers in MLB. So I'm worried that an acquisition like him and, you know, you can't DH a catcher, an acquisition like him kind of messes up the flow of the pitching staff like can you really can you really get a put someone behind there who's not nearly in the same stratosphere as Higgy or Trevino in terms of maybe not so much calling a game but stealing strikes receiving framing the way he's set up everything that Contreras does is pretty broken so I don't know I love Contreras I just don't I don't I don't see him being 
someone they acquire just because things are going so well with the pitching and they're getting everything they can out of these two catchers. Yeah. So maybe they ride it out with both of these guys and they just find a way to alternate in different days. And, you know, if they're not losing them games, you know, then just they've scored 18 runs and, yeah. you know, Matt Carpenter's out there just looking like Shane Spencer all over. So with the best mustache in baseball, um, Maybe you just ride it out with what you've got now. Who knows? We'll see what happens. I'll, I'll tell you right now, there's absolutely no way I'm, I'm as sure of this as I'm sure that I'm sitting here that the Yankees are going to trade for Wilson, uh, for Wilson Contreras. No I shot. Think, I think no I agree shot. with that. I think there's, I yeah, think there's defense. no chance that happens. No um, chance at all. And, and it's my, so I think, here's what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to see essentially the same thing that we've seen so far this year for the rest of the year where, all, you know, nobody has the full-time job alternating days, pairing catchers with pitchers, with the, which the Yankees are known to do. That's what we're going to see. What I think we should see is Trevino as the full-time starter. And I say that not because I think that Trevino is going to maintain a 150 weighted runs created plus all year. He's not. He's not that good of a hitter. And he's also, he's come through in these big spots so far, which is what people remember. But time and time again, we've seen that really clutch hitting in most cases is circumstantial and it's not it's not an indication of any special skill. So there will be some big moments over the course of the, of the next few months where Trevino will not come through and we'll all be sad and it'll be kind of like the balloon popping and whatnot. Yeah. But Trevino might not be such a bad hitter. So right now he's hitting above 300, which again, he's not going to sustain, but expecting batting average has him at 286, quite respectable. He has a hard hit percentage of 34.9%, which is just below average, but essentially uh, statistically average. He never strikes out. Uh, and and, and he's, he's shown a knack for um, being able to make contact, especially on pitches out of the zone. So I think he'll continue to, to be able to hit for, for good contact. And his expected weighted on base average is at a respectable 342. So when you combine a perhaps average to maybe slightly above average hitter, especially for a catcher, with one of the best defensive catchers in baseball, 98th percentile framing, that to me is a recipe for a starter. So at the very least, I think it's worth giving Trevino real run as the full-time starter um, and then seeing if his hitting really does drop off. But based on what we've seen this year, I think it's reasonable to, to suggest the Yankees should just roll with Trevino. And that's not because I have some unrealistic expectations for what Trevino is and what he's going to be. Yeah, I think that's completely reasonable. I mean, he's got some – he's got pop – there's for a catcher especially I mean he when he hits him uh, he had one this weekend off the foul pole that was you know smacked so he has he has the pop in his bat I don't I, I also would like them to see it through with kind of this catching battery that they have I don't I don't think that's something that needs to be addressed or, or changed in any in any major way I guess that can kind of segue us into the meat of our of our show here, which we'll be talking about the MLB all-star game. So who are the, like, who are the guys we need to get out of the way? Like who, who are the locks that we can throw in here? Minor judge Nestor. And honestly, that's it. Cause I have some stuff to say about Garrett Cole. Judge and Nestor, are the only locks on this team for me. I'm starting the Garrett Cole to LA uh, bandwagon. The Glaber Torres one. Glaber Torres is, he, he's just great to, he's fun to watch. He's hitting home runs. He's hitting it where there where there's no defensive players, and he's other than that one spin play the other day, he's playing okay defense from what I see. So I'm starting the Glaber Torres to LA bandwagon. If anybody wants to get on, buy a ticket. So I think if you had asked, I think the Glaber thing is more so if you like asked Yankees fans, you know, oh how good Glaber Torres is, how good has Glaber Torres been? They'd be like, oh, he's been great. He's, been the best he's ever been he's hitting home runs to right center again but I don't see him getting in over Altuve I think Glaber Glaber could maybe make it as like a backup but I think Altuve will end up being the starting second baseman there Matt anyone anyone that that jumps off the page for you that that you want to advocate for yeah we've certainly hit on the obvious ones so far I think it's tough given that he has missed time but in my mind Giancarlo Stanton is having an all-star caliber season. Yep. And I, I say that because he's been putting up great numbers and he's also per some of the baseball savant metrics, one of the more unlucky hitters uh, in, in the game right now. And he should be putting up even better numbers than he is. So he's underperforming his expected weighted on base average by 0 0.063, which is the 23rd highest mark of any hitter in the game right now other very interesting players that are 
near the top of this leaderboard. So Corey Seager is number one, 0 0.088. Corey Seager is going to break out in a big way, which is why I just traded for him in fantasy. I promise Very that's good. the last time I'll mention my Very good. <laughs> Diego Castillo is up there too. That's kind of an interesting one. Mm. But anyway, Stanton is, um, is having a great year. And I think he would be, if he hadn't missed the time that he did miss, I think you'd see him in pretty decent position for, for a, a starting role. Yeah, I hear that. It's just the outfield in the AL is like pretty crowded with Judge. But yeah, I don't hate that stand, stand in the All-Star game. Uh, so mine is less so someone that I think deserves it. We can get into someone that I think deserves it later when we talk about, you know, more specifically um, about the bullpen. But so I mentioned does Judge and Nestor is the only locks. I don't, I don't think Garrett Cole like deserves necessarily to be a lock for this All-Star game. Am, am I crazy in thinking this? A little, little nuts. Crazy. I say a you, little. Matt, you said I am or I'm not crazy. I, I, don't think, I don't think you're crazy for not considering him a lock. I think it's tough to, it's tough to, it's tough to be a lock when you have a real clunker on your ledger, like Cole's last time out. His numbers are great. There's no doubt about it. Um, but he is giving up a lot of hard contact in general and any start where you have, where you give up five home runs, it's going to be hard to make a case that you're one of the, whatever, 10 best pitchers in the league when that happens. And, and, you know, I think the, the other, the other thing that Garrett Cole suffers from is being a part of the Yankees rotation where every single pitcher has just been excellent. And we know that, you know, especially because pitchers are not part of the fan vote, they're not going to select all five Yankee starters. Although statistically, That's maybe all five of them do have a case. They'll probably select, you know, the two, maybe the three with the best case, probably more like two. I think Nestor is one. Nestor is a lock for one, yes. Robert, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you there. And I think you can make a pretty good argument for Tyone as the second. You know, Tyone may, his stats probably aren't up to, up to Garrett's standards, but he does not have a five home run clunker. He's been either really good or merely solid. And basically every time he's taken the mound this year. So I think that'll be coming into consideration as well. I don't know how you can say Garrett Cole over, you mentioned Tyone over Severino. I'm Garrett Cole has the worst ERA of all five starters on the Yankees right now. He's a 360 ERA. So let's compare him to Luis Severino. K per nine, pretty much identical. Severino's got a 2.8 ERA, a 2.57 expected. Garrett's expected is 3.21. His home runs per nine, 1.18. Garrett's 1.48. His, his walks per nine, 2.21 for Seve, 2.28 for Garrett. Seve has literally been better. Also, innings pitch, not that much of a discrepancy. 67 innings pitch for Garrett, 61 for Severino. I don't know how you can, in good conscience, send Garrett Cole to the All-Star game over Luis Severino this season. Just going to give it to you straight wow. there. Yeah. That's, How can you do you it? How can you do it? Luis Severino is having a better season. That's, that's incredible. Like, when you have the numbers, you have the numbers. Yeah, I, just, I, I think Garrett Cole, he probably makes it just based on his name, who he is, where he plays, and being the ace of the rotation. But, yeah, Seve, Seve's – I love seeing Seve back. And I, I wouldn't hate seeing Seve go to L.A. too. He's also such a good all-star game pitcher, too. Come out, throw gas. He's a wipeout slider, a great changeup now. Garrett's mm -hmm. going to come out and just give up homers. I so, like this take. I like this take, Robert. I know you probably brought this one to the show thinking that you were going to get some pushback, but I think it's a totally fair take. Not so much pushback. It's just I – because I was reading a bunch of stuff this morning and everything was just Garrett Cole from the Yankees, Garrett Cole from the Yankees. It's just kind of like, wait a minute, there's guys that are better this season on this team and I understand it's Garrett Cole you know less you mentioned it's the whole popularity contest aspect of it he's the ace of the staff yeah quote unquote but I, there are just guys on this in the starting five that are more deserving and we haven't even mentioned Jordan Montgomery's name who has the second lowest ERA on this staff with the same amount of innings as Garrett Cole so I don't know I'm not in on this Garrett Cole all-star game thing I wouldn't even be that happy if you were in the all-star game I don't think this is a season where he deserves to get the shine the shine belongs on someone else in this rotation, obviously outside of Nestor Cortez. Whether it be Jamison Tyone or Luis Severino, I don't really care. But I don't think Garrett Cole 
is the one that's deserving to be a second representative from the starting rotation of the Yankees to be in the all-star game, because this rotation isn't that good unless, you know, Tyone Severino and those guys are having career seasons. So that's it. I hate to throw too much shade at Garrett Cole, but he has not been the story for the Yankees this season. That's my ah, listen, that's a, listen, that's a, that is a scalding hot ESPN level take right there. Oh, don't, know? don't do that. I'm ESPN level kidding. take. Oh my goodness. Listen, it's, it's not, it's not Stephen A level, but you oh. brought the numbers. You brought yeah. the numbers and that that's impressive. And I, you might've flipped me on it. I'd rather see Seve as well. Cause I, I just love the Seve story. I love stories and Luis Severino's renaissance is, is right up there. Yeah, throughout the numbers, there's nothing fun about Garrett Cole being in the All-Star game this season. Nothing. And, every, all, and all everyone will talk about if he is in the All-Star game is how he has the worst ERA on the Yankees pitching staff and that there are four players in that staff, three players in that staff, because Nestor will be there, more deserving of an All-Star game bid. Let Garrett Cole, you know, either go enjoy the All-Star game on the sidelines or, like, go home to his wife and kid for the weekend. Take a load off. And you know what that speaks to? It's an embarrassment, uh, embarrassment of riches that the Yankees yeah. have in their rotation this year. Like, it's incredible when you can roll out that many legitimate candidates to go to the All-Star game. And I want Nestor to start the All-Star game. Like, that would just be I think an amazing will. story. I think that would be unbelievable if Nestor's out there starting, starting the All-Star game. And I think he should be. I think it's, a great, it's great for baseball because I think it'll be really easy to market. He's got funky deliveries, got that mean stash, and he's just the best pitcher in the American League. Matt, what were you? What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, how do we feel about Jose Trevino starting catcher for the American League in the All Star Game? Yeah, that was the one I was gonna get to next. So I guess this is a good segue. Is the argument for Jose Trevino? I am still, I'm on the Alejandro Kirk train, mm-hmm. um, over over Trevino starting. But Trevino, Trevino obviously has has the case. You know, the thing, when you go to vote for MLB players in the All-Star game, I actually haven't, like, submitted a vote yet, but they only give you batting average, home runs, RBI, RBIs, and OPS, um, which I think is a little unfair. But I think I was looking at it earlier today. Kirk just slightly outdoes Trevino, especially in the offensive stats. And that's, you know, for catching kind of what matters for the All-Star game. So I do think Trevino is a close, close second but I still think Kirk takes it there. Convince it me is, otherwise. It is razor thin. Let me razor just read off thin. some of these because it's almost like these are almost like indistinguishable players. So first of all, their war, their fan graphs war is identical. 1.7 wow. for both players. Weighted runs created plus. Kirk is at 149. Trevino is at 148. Yeah, I knew it was something crazy like that. It is. It is crazy. Um and then some of the other stats are, again, very similar. So 318 batting average for Kirk, 309 for Trevino. Um, and then for OBP, Kirk is somewhat higher, but slugging Trevino has Kirk, 505 to 471. Weighted on base average, also virtually indistinguishable, 381 to 374. Trevino is, I guess, a better base runner. That's interesting. So we're talking about players with very, very similar profiles really hard to distinguish one from the other. I think in terms of thinking as an objective voter, you could go either direction and you would be perfectly justified in doing so. I don't know that there's really a competitor, another competitor in the American league that I, that I would no. consider on the level of those guys, which really means that I think it's possible we see Trevino as an all-star, assuming that he's able to continue, you know, performing competently, which is just really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's it's something that no one foresaw. I mean, possibly even more unexpected than like the Nestor Renaissance is Trevino as an all-star level player. Really incredible stuff. So we have the thing with MLB now where every team needs representation, right? It's one player from each team. Right. Is that where Trevino gets clipped with Salvi? That is a, that's a really interesting point. I feel like, um, you know, usually you would say, well, Whit Merrifield is going to be there for the Royals, but he's not having a great year. I'm trying to think if there's another Royal that would be considered. I, I suppose, I mean, I know we, we just talked about how the outfield in the AL is super deep. Andrew Benintendi's having a great season. So yeah. maybe, he gets, maybe he gets a nod there and it frees up the spot for Trevino. But you're totally right, Robert. That could be, that could be a, a possible way that, that a deserving season is not recognized. Do we think that there's a possibility that Yankee fans really just flood the fan vote? Yes. 
That's, I hope so. I hope so. Because so. the problem is that oftentimes fan bases like the Royals outdo us in that mm-hmm. regard. Right? Mm-hmm. We saw so many of those years where there were all those random Royals starting the game just because the Royals fans were coming out in force. And maybe that's what happens. And maybe Salvi gets the nod because Royal, fan, Royal fans are feeling super, super nostalgic. But I do think the Trevino story this year, especially in Yankee land, is so strong that it has the power to, to get people to, to vote in droves for him. At least I hope. If we have Jose Trevino and Nestor Cortez as all-stars, you imagine someone telling you that before the season started? Yeah, Nestor and Trevino are both going to be all-stars for the Yankees this season. That would be one. And Garrett, that. Cole, like, and Garrett Cole wouldn't be. Amazing. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that they, they'll, they'll make a Yankeeography about that in 10 years. Oh, yes. Les, any, any thoughts on Jose Trevino being an all-star? I hope he does. I hope he gets there. Uh, I, like you said, it could be, it could come down to a numbers crunch. Uh, just kind of looking at it, like, I don't know who would make it from Seattle. So some of these other teams, you just have to think like, who's going to be their representative. And I really hope he's not a numbers crunch, but that's why put the vote in your hands, Yankees fans, and click that box for Jose Trevino. Okay. So I guess moving on less, you have an article going up tomorrow with your all-star game picks. We've covered some of that here. There was one I wanted to go over and it was Anthony Rizzo. And I think you said, if I'm not mistaken, you will be having him in the all-star game. I'd love to see him there. I really would. And he started off hot. He's been playing good baseball. Like I, he's another one. I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be there. But like I said, in my story, I, uh, being a Yankees homer, the first ballot is always just straight chalk, Yankees all the way, and then he'll put a little bit more thought into it. But I don't know. I don't see uh, who in the American League goes in over um, over Anthony Rizzo. Like, what do you guys think? Who do you think takes takes the nod there? Yeah, I've already – so I've made my case already for Luis Arias, and oh, yes. I think I think as of now he would probably – have my vote but I also you know and I spoke about this on the last podcast that I was on Anthony Rizzo is having a sneaky great year and I think he's due for a lot of positive regression Um, and I I don't think that that 219 average is going to stay there for long because his quality of contact is much better than that so we could see a big push from Rizzo over the next few weeks and that might be enough to coax me in his direction certainly a deserving all-star candidate I don't I don't think there's any question about that yeah, the funny thing about Rizzo is he – so he leads all first basemen in the American League in home runs and RBIs. I think he has 15 home runs this season, 41 RBIs, both good for first place. But I think the first baseman, the first one out of the American League is going to be Ty France. Hmm. If you haven't looked at what oh. he's doing this season, he's going crazy. And I, I mean, it's unbelievable. He's not on any of my fantasy teams. So like, I'm not locked into the whole Ty France thing. He's batting 325 with a 400 OBP and a 489 slug with a 165 WRC plus. It's, this has got to be the quietest, best first baseman in a long time that I can remember. Only nine home runs, too, which is atypical from a first baseman. A lot of the first basemen that are, like, up there in war this season, none of them, until you get to, like, Vladdy, who's seventh in war, have more than ten homers. Vladdy probably wins the popular vote. Um, so, yeah. I think it just comes down to who plays after him. So, like, you know, like like Matt said, or, Luis or, or Matthew said, Arias probably sneaks in there, and maybe just because they need so many players to avoid a tie, Rizzo gets in there. But I, don't know, I hope so. Love to see him. I think Rizzo's been great. I'm not so sure he's been good enough to warrant being an all-star this season. I think Ty France deserves recognition for how good he's been. Obviously, Matt brought up Luis Arise a couple times. I think he deserves to be in as well. So I, yeah, think Rizzo will, I think Rizzo will miss it. But as Matt said, a lot of positive regression coming for someone who is still having a really good season. So very, very excited to see what's in store for him. Now, this is, this is the thing I'm most excited to talk about, I think. And it's, it's about someone we love on this podcast, Clay Holmes. So I was reading a bunch of articles this morning. Not a lot of Clay Holmes mentions in the all-star game conversation. So each league gets five starters and three relievers, I think. I might be way off on that. But I quickly was reading something this morning that that was it. I don't know. 
and it's kind of the Garrett, it's an inverse of the Garrett conversation. I didn't see Clay Holmes in a lot of people's ballots. How? How is Clay Holmes not an all-star this season? Uh, I got nothing for you there. He's been the best reliever in baseball, really. So, funny enough, if you go to Fangraphs, the, do you know who the best reliever in baseball has been? Tell me. Michael King. With a 1.4 war, mostly a product of him pitching 33 innings, which I think is the most of any qualified relief pitcher this season. But second right there is Clay Holmes. Now, I think where Clay Holmes gets clipped this year is going to be in the saves department. But that's an unfair argument for Clay Holmes. So I think the AL relievers, as they stand right now, are going to be Hendricks, because he finds his way in there every year, leads the AL in saves, or tied for first with Jordan Romano with 16 saves. And Gregory Soto is weirdly having a good season, despite having a 5.2 xFIP. Rasil Iglesias is really good. Emmanuel Classe is really good. Clay Holmes only has nine saves. Mm. But I will offer this. You know who else has nine saves? That's also on the Yankees? Aroldis Chapman, who is injured. So if you, so here's my, my math brain. If you basically were to put Clay Holmes in Chapman's role from the beginning of the season, he would effectively have 18 saves, let's say which would be most in the American League, and we wouldn't even be having a discussion about who would be in the All-Star game from a relief pitching standpoint. So I think Clay Holmes is going to get unfairly treated by this save metric. You think that's even still going to be the case, even though the fans have no say in the pitcher conversation? So I don't know whether or not I like his chances more or less when it comes to the fan vote. Because who knows with like managers and coaches, right? Like they might see the guys with the most saves. Like you never, you never really know. Like if it were a front office vote, I'm sure Clay Holmes is in there immediately. But you know, there are probably going to be some people that see Gregory Soto having a really good season and say that he deserves to be in the all-star game. So that's my, my main concern with that. But, but to me, Clay Holmes is a shoe in If I had a ballot, I mean, best reliever in baseball for my money. He has to be. I really think, you know, I, I don't think there's any way that, especially a, a jury of his peers can ignore what he's done, how dominant he's been. I like to think that given that pitchers are chosen by players that he'll have a better chance than fans who might, you know, just scroll down the ballot, see the numbers and say, Oh, nine saves, you know, generic year, not going to vote for him. But I think, I think his, his peers, the other players will understand the, just the weight of his dominance is you, you can't ignore it. I think he has to make it. These numbers are astronomical. 9.1 strikeouts per nine, less than one walk per nine. Hasn't given up a home run. 95% left on. Nobody, everybody just stays on base when he's on the mound. So, yeah, like like Matthew said, I, the jury of his peers would no doubt put him on. Yeah, I think so. And then back to Giancarlo, Matt. Giancarlo, would he go in as a designated hitter? That's what's interesting. I don't know, because he's on the ballot this year as an outfielder, which he almost ne- really never has been in years past. And so I'm not actually sure what, what would be the, the protocol there. I mean, I think it's tough to imagine the voters selecting anyone besides – I mean, I think probably folks are going to gravitate towards Otani because, of course. And then you also have Jordan Alvarez, who's been one of the best hitters in the game this year. So, you know, whether it's as an outfielder or as a DH, I think Stanton has a, has a tough road just because of how deep both of those positions are. Yeah, so if it's designated hitter, I think it's almost a little more difficult because that's where you run into the Shohei, J.D. Martinez, Jordan Alvarez triplet situation that's going on there. With and, Jordan, Jordan probably being the starter, then J.D. the backup, and Shohei also a backup. And does Miguel Cabrera take a spot just as a – is this his, officially his last season? Like does, does he just get the, uh, the senior award and go, the trip to the All-Star game? Ooh, I, don't, I don't know. Who's, I mean, I, I think Gregory Soto might end up being the representative from the Tigers, but, I mean, Miguel Cabrera is still finding a way to be, to be, to be productive despite his, his age and, and how long he's been in the league. So I'm just looking at one of these articles for, that I was reading this morning uh, for, for – all-star game pitchers. So the one I'm reading now has the only two relievers as Jordan Romano and Liam Hendricks, who are both tied for the lead in saves in the American League this season. 
But again, I urge voters that, you know, obviously not people like us, but coaches, players, et cetera, ignore that saves number because if Clay Holmes was the starter from the beginning of this season, he might have more than that. Aroldis Chapman had nine. And I don't know a world where Clay Holmes can't do everything that Aroldis Chapman does and more. So that's my case for Clay Holmes. Also, what about Michael King? 1.4 war. Let's get him in there. Screw it. Let's all, let's get crazy. Let's just, let's just yeah, make it wild. What we need is like the problem with the one game or the one team getting yeah. representation is if that wasn't the case, the Yankees would have so many all-stars and that would be indicative of the season they're having. But instead we have to be, you know, which I think is fine. You have to be equitable and have a player from each team, but it doesn't give you the chance to have the entire Yankees rotation be all of the start and bullpen being just basically the entire Yankees pitching staff being the American league all-stars, which That's is very true. Bad. Why don't we, we should, we should wrap it up by going around and just each of us suggesting who we actually think given all the parameters, right? One player from each team, fan vote for starters, all of this stuff, who we actually think are going to represent the Yankees in the all-star game this year. Final votes. Not who we want to, who who we we actually think, who we think is going to be there. Uh, I mean, I'll do it begrudgingly. Yeah. I mean, judge Nestor are the two locks. And then I think it'll, still end up being Garrett Cole. And I think those will be the three. And I'm going to sit here a little upset that Clay Holmes won't be an all-star and Luis Severino and Jamison Tyone won't get the respect they deserve. But I, I do think it'll end up being Judge Nestor Cole and it'll be kind of status quo-y with the exception of Nestor Cortez. I'm going to say Glaber goes. I wow. love that guy. I really am. Other than Judge and Nestor, I, I prob- Cole probably goes. Um, I think labor. I think labor goes and, you know, start clicking away, guys. <laughs> Matt, oh, Trevino, say, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't forget. Well, Trevino will be there. I mean, Trevino, Trevino will probably be, the, be the, the backup catcher, as we, as we lightly touched on. I don't know. I still think it's going to end up being Salvi. I think it'll end up being Alejandro Kirk and Salvi unless, unless the fan vote really comes out strong there. But I think Salvi, they're going to need – the Royals are going to need someone for representation. It'll be Salvi. So I'll stand strong on my not-so-happy Judge Nestor Cole prediction. I'm going to go with Judge Nestor and Jose Trevino. I think, I think Trevino's done enough that either he wins the fan vote if the Yankees fans really go crazy or he wins the job over Salvi – with the Royals getting their guy on the team in the form of Andrew Benintendi. Yeah, I mean, there's a world where it's both Benintendi and Salvi, and Salvi just kind of gets in because he finds he's now like part of that whole gang of Royals fans, like you mentioned, that just votes incessantly for him. But I, I commend you for that Trevino pick. I, th- I think he is, is more than deserving. I mean, he has been the second best catcher arguably the best catcher in baseball this season. So there's no reason why he shouldn't be in there. Any, any final thoughts, any, any, any final things you want to say about this, this all-star game coming up and how my, I think the biggest complaint is that there, there's no way to actually get enough Yankees players into this game. I think we, we've, no. we've, uh, nope. we've done, we've done it justice. I'm ready to go into record predictions. Yes. So Ooh, yes, just with that said, so it is June 13th we're recording this the Yankees will play baseball from June 14th through July 3rd with no breaks Um, but of course on this podcast we like to look in the week ahead so starting tomorrow the Yankees start a three-game home series against the Tampa Bay Rays and then hit the road for a three-game weekend series against the Toronto Blue Jays not to mention they play the Rays and then the Astros tough road ahead but for the sake of the podcast, three against the Rays, three against the Blue Jays. Give me your prediction, Matt. Wow, putting me on the hot seat. Yep. Right because, to start with. Because you, you hid from us last week. I did, <laughs> and you're right. I deserve it. I am going to have to go, just given how tough this gauntlet is going to be, mm-hmm. I will go with what is maybe a coward selection, but I'm going to have them at four and two. I think they'll take two of three in each of the series, continue the good times. I just don't. And I feel like we say this every time, but I just don't know how they can really sustain this, this pace for much longer. They are going to slow down at some point. I don't think the Yankees are going to play 700, whatever they are, 730 baseball all year long. It'd be great if they did, but I still think they're a really good team. And so this week, I think they're going to show themselves to be a really good team. 
by winning series against two of their main divisional and playoff rivals. So four and two it is. Les, what you got? You know, before he, before uh, Matthew said that, I was thinking the same thing too. Like, I think they dropped one of the games against Tampa, one of the games against Blue Jays. I think they also go four and two. But they win series, and that's what's important. So this is the bugaboo of going last here. I really don't also want to say four and two because then I can't create any separation in the standings. <laughs> and I'm, I don't know if I can see five and one happening. Because I agree with you, Matt. I think, I, think, I think this is very hard to keep up. I think they have recently been winning games that they really shouldn't be winning, and that's hard to sustain. So I'm going to say three and three. Now, I don't know where the three losses are going to come from. I think one of them will be in the Nestor-McClanahan game in Tampa. And then another one will definitely be whichever game Alec Minot pitches, if he does, against the Yankees over the weekend in Toronto. And I think with Toronto, it's a big revenge spot for them. The last time these two teams played each other, um, I think was that judge walk-off home run, if I'm not mistaken. So I think there's, right. I think there's revenge on the Blue Jays' mind. They'll be at home. The last time the Yankees played in Toronto, it was kind of weird because the Maple Leafs were playing down the street. So there wasn't you know, as many people in the building. It's a weekend series. Going to be a really tough place for the Yankees to play. And I think the Blue Jays are going to treat that like one of the most important series of the season. And I think this is kind of a week where the Yankees go three and three. You say, hey, you just got to survive these next two and a half weeks, whatever it may be against these really good teams and hope you come out on the other side unscathed. But, you know, you can kind of afford to slip a little bit when you have an eight and a half game lead and you're 44 and 16. So this is what the Yankees have done. They've, they've earned the right to just kind of not have to – play so well against the best teams and more just kind of if you go 500 fine we'll take that and the, the toronto series are weird start times like the friday night game is at seven o'clock saturday is 307 and then sunday is 137 like what's going on in canada that we just can't get you know normal start times yeah that's some canada stuff i i don't really understand the 307 start time that might that might be some special day in canada that we that we don't know about but i guess we'll just have to wait and see super weird so I think that I think we can wrap it up on that. That was a, that was a very very good conversation about the uh, the MLB All Star Game there. I think we made some very impassioned arguments for for a couple of a couple of guys that we wanted to see in there. But uh, as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to wherever you're listening. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a follow on Twitter at Pinstripe Purse. That's at the word Pinstripe P E R S. If it looks like Pinstripe Peppers. You are on the right handle. And yeah, not much else to add. Hope to see a lot of Yankees in the All-Star game. We'll be doing another podcast next week, so the All-Star game voting will still be going on. But we wanted to get this conversation in as early as possible. So for myself, Les, and Matt, thank you for listening, and go Yanks.